Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and we are so glad you're here. Welcome back if you've been around for a while, and um, we just really want to welcome all the new guest today. And we're just so glad you found us and I'm very excited about our show today. It's a little bit different. We're talking about some physical problems that happen with your kids when they are on screens too much. But before we get started with that, I've had a lot of questions recently about what do my kids do if they don't have video games and smartphones? And I know this question comes up a lot. You know, we have four children, two of them are still at home. So we have teenagers at home. And I think parents are genuinely just stumped. They don't understand, Melanie, what do you do? What do your kids do <laughs> all day? And so I thought about it just a little bit. And I, and I thought I would just share just briefly a few things. So what they do now is a direct result of what they didn't do in K through eight, I guess, because they're in high school now. So we're in this for the long haul. And what I have seen as I just watched my kids, they they don't have time for video games and, and phones, honestly. They don't have social media. They do a lot of other things. There really are a lot of other things that kids can do. And one of the things that I've noticed that they're always in a sport. And this isn't because we're pushing them in sports. This is just because they just love the team, the camaraderie. They they love to be outside. They love to run. Right now they're running cross country. So every day after school, they go to cross country practice and they're with all their friends and they talk a lot. That team is very, very close. They have baseball in the spring, but after they do school and then sports and they come home and they do dinner and homework, we're pretty much at the end of our day. So there really isn't any time left to fill in with all this screen stuff. So I know it sounds really simple, but it it is. And it really is a result of everything that we've done up to this point. So as a result of this low screen lifestyle that we have, we talk about a lot of benefits, hobbies, exercise, communication, interests, reading, all this stuff. This list is really long. I think one of the biggest benefits I see is when they come home, they really come home. They don't go up to their room on their phone. They They don't talk on social media. They tell me everything that just sort of happened during the day because they need to talk and all kids need an outlet. So they just start telling me everything that happens and I'm really happy to hear it. But there's all these benefits, but there's also a lot of physical benefits too. And that's what we're going to talk about today are some of the benefits on the physical side of this low tech lifestyle. So our guest today is Janet Wilson with Bella Vision Pediatric ophthalmologist, correct? Janet, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am an optometrist. Oh, optometrist. Yes, yeah. <laughs> There's lots of very similar. I, I don't perform surgery. I am, I practice in a different way. I'm a developmental or functional vision uh, specialist. Got it. Okay, great. All righty. So you are boots on the ground. <laughs> yes. With parents, right? And with little kids. So tell us how this all works and about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in a private practice um, in the upstate of South Carolina. You know, I have been practicing for 13 years and I grew up wearing glasses at a young age and I always loved going to my eye doctor, but I also had difficulties when I was in school reading. 
And I remember specifically third grade, I was separated into little group for the slow readers. And I remember being like, hey, well, I'm, I'm smart. Like, why am I over here? And I just remember really struggling with the concepts of reading. And I had a vision problem that was interfering with my ability to read. That really got me on my journey to become an optometrist, specifically working with developmental or functional vision. We're looking at more than just glasses and contact lenses and more than just visual acuity, but it's just um, about how your eyes you know, move or track across the page, how they focus, depth perception, eye alignment. So it's more of a, a broader efficiency type of discussion. So yeah, that's really interesting. I think most of us think of the eye doctor and we need glasses, but there's a whole nother piece behind it. And I know I'm, I'm just, just from my nursing school background, just bear with me a minute and help me refresh my memory on this. So I know that when kids are born and they're little and I was in labor and delivery and, you know, we had lots of babies and all in the hospital. When they, when they have vision problems, talk about even from those very early, early years, you know, and months even that if you don't get certain things figured out, like with lazy eye and whatnot, there are lifelong problems. Talk about that just for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So I see a lot of children in my office and one of the things I always have a very, you know, good conversation with the parents. You know, I always tell them vision is something that's developed. It's not something that you're born with. You know, it's so much more than can my child see the eye chart? Can they read letters on the eye chart? That's only visual acuity. And there's 17 visual skills that are required for reading, reading comprehension and sports. And so those other skills have to develop. Wow. 17 visual yes. skills. Oh my goodness. So, Give us an example of just a okay. few of those. Yeah. So 17 skills, how your eyes focus and how they move focus from far to near. Their uh, central vision. So that's your visual acuity, uh, peripheral vision, depth perception, gross visual motor skills, fine visual motor skills, right? Like, um, like writing, looking from far to near um, when you're taking notes in the classroom. There's a whole battery of visual perceptual skills. So things like visual spatial skills, visual closure skills, figure ground. And those are all um, how your brain processes vision. So when we are reading, how does your brain interpret what you're reading? Or when you're walking through space, how does your brain interpret the visual world that you're in. When I talk to parents about vision, you know, the first thing is, is that they get their child's eyes examined at an early age, because um, there's a lot of things that if we can enter intervene at an earlier age that we can, like you said, we can improve. Like, I guess, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm like a lone soldier and I'm talking to every parent about vision development and screen time, but, you know, it's simple things. So like when your baby's born, you know, there's certain milestones that are really critical for vision to develop such things as tummy time. So that helps with um, the right and left halves and bilateral integration of the body. And that's important for being able to cross over the midline. So when we read, our eyes can move from left to right appropriately across the page. Crawling milestones. um, If we have kids that uh, completely skip like the crawling milestone, sometimes they'll have difficulty um, with handwriting. Yeah. And and so much just for listeners to understand just what 
we're talking about is just you have your brain is kind of in two separate you know, sections (laughs) and they have to talk to each other back and forth, back and forth. And I know this is, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you have a baby today, you need an instruction sheet to say, okay, here's all the things that you need to do. (laughs) And I have a three-year-old. And so I feel like I'm, I'm living it, but I'm also trying to be a good example. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just handing out advice to parents. I'm, I am actually using it myself in my personal life. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting when you, you know, a lot of parents don't think about this, but it's like if, you know, your child is, you know, you were saying earlier, what do your kids do? Well, my son Bennett, he's three, you know, he'll he'll do puzzles. And I'm like, you know, to someone looking at him, they may be like, oh, well, he looks bored. Here's, you know, a screen to look at or something like that. But, you know, what visually is happening is that he is manipulating those puzzle pieces. So he's getting that visual spatial, that texture, like one side is shiny, one side is matte. How do these pieces fit together? And he's problem solving. Yeah. And he's using all of these visual skills. His eyes are lining up and they're focusing. You know, if we as parents interrupt that by overstimulating our child by giving them a digital screen or device, then you're actually disrupting the process of vision and how that's developing. Wow. Explain that just a little bit more because that is so interesting. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who would have thought, right, that when you when your kid is looking at a screen, especially when they're little, I mean, but it, yes. it goes on through. I mean, we have certain things we have to do these milestones when they're young, but but it continues on as it well. Does. So, yeah, explain what, what the difference is of looking at a screen versus looking at a book. So, like, let me go back to just some of the, the pediatric milestones. So, like, let's say I have a baby who's four months old. And, you know, we all have kids, so they're, you know, that baby's like looking at an object, right? So maybe they, they want to make an action, but they can't. And so they don't have like the, the eye-hand coordination yet to do something. You look at the baby and they're just cooing and it's like they're planning. Visual motor is planned because we're humans. We have visual brains, Mm-hmm. Now, your visual system is the most dominant sense. And so visually, that is how we get information uh, the easiest. So mm-hmm. going back to what I was saying, if your child is planning that movement, so visually they're making that execution, but they're not doing it yet. But one day that kid, that baby's going to reach out and grab that toy mm-hmm. or or sit up or take that first step. And it's because it didn't just happen. They've been planning it visually for hours, weeks, days. It's almost like they've been like watching it in their head kind of. Absolutely. They're practicing it. They're practicing. Yeah. So if we, like, like I was saying, if we interfere and give them a screen and, and what I mean by that is a screen's really passive, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like all the information is just, is so, so much for their visual system that, when I give, if I give a child a handheld screen in particular, and, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple of things I say to parents, you know, I grew up in the eighties, both of my parents worked and I watched a lot of TV, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I did a lot of Brady Bunch probably. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, TV is far away relatively. Right. So it's, right. you know, 10, 15 feet away. But when we hand a child a screen that's closer to them, there's a couple things that happen. One of the first things I, I asked the parent about school, meaning like how are grades? Um, how's reading comprehension? Are there any issues with that? How long's homework taking? Because a lot of people don't put the two together, vision and learning. 
They're like, I don't, I don't, I don't ever see like, what does the eye doctor have to do with my child not reading on grade level? In reality, you know, 80% of learning in school is through the visual system. That's right. And so, you know, we ask those more global concepts because we want the parents mindset to get that connection as well. We ask them about, you know, school and comprehension and grade level and if there's any resistance to homework and the parent will be like, you know what, they'll spend, you know, no problem spending an hour playing video games or looking at YouTube, but homework's a fight. Yeah. Right? They're like, go figure. It's, it's drama, you know? Yeah, explain that. Yeah. And so, well, and I'll say, well, okay, well, have you ever like watched your kid uh, on the iPad? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, no, but have you ever like looked at their eyes? Like go like get below them and kind of look at their eyes and what they're doing. And they're like, okay. And, and I'm like, well, you know, what happens is like, you know, is the screen's moving, right? They're watching YouTube and they're watching a video, right? Like the screen's moving and the parents like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, have you ever looked at their eyes? Are their eyes moving? And they're like, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. What you'll see is that the child's eyes aren't moving, but the screen's moving. Well, why does that make a difference? Well, it's such a passive thing. So when, think about when you read something, what do your eyes have to do? They have to move. They have to move. They have to move accurately from left to right across the text. But not only that, that the, the letters have to be clear. Uh, they have to be single. There can't be any double vision. So, and then there's this big disconnect. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm on the computer. It's so easy. I can just get all the information. But now when I read, Oh, my eyes have to keep their place. They're not used to moving left or right like that. And then also from the board to my paper or the computer to my paper back and forth all day. Oh my goodness. Never, I never even thought about that. I knew that it's better for a child to read in a paper book. You know, we'll talk Mm -hmm. about that in a minute, but I never ever really thought about the fact that when you're watching a screen or iPad or even, you know, when it's really close like that, you're not shifting your eyes back and forth. I just remember parents when we were growing up saying that, what was it? That if we sat too close to the TV, something was going to happen. Right. So like, that's what exactly what our parents said, but think about you've given them a small TV to hold in their hands. And so you know, so there's the eye tracking. So there's a big disconnect. So the parents like, well, they, they, they can't, you know, keep their place when they read, you know, attention spans very little. And I'm like, well, because they're, they're practicing every day, just, you know, hours at a time looking idly at a screen and they're not, and then we want them to do something higher level, which is reading like cognitively yeah. higher level is too big of a disconnect. No. And it's physically very hard too. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're learning right now here today, we're talking to you. I, I, you know, just this, the physical requirements and and this, I remember an occupational therapist telling me one time years ago, um, that one reason why your kids have to be outside a lot is so they can look at the trees and then look at the bush right near them, look at the birds, and then they're refocusing, refocusing far and near and far and near. And naturally we do that outside. We don't do that inside really that much. And that really stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking when my twins were little, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go outside so they can exercise their eyes. (laughs) Well, that's exactly, that's exactly correct. And that's the second layer to it. So the eyes don't move, but then the yeah. second layer is that the eyes focusing or accommodation stays at a single close plane. So when you look far away, the lens of the eye is in a relaxed position. And when you change focus to look at your paper or your phone, your focusing changes. 
Right. And so if you hold the eyes focusing up close for too long, right? Uh, just like, yeah. just like you were saying, it's like the eyes never change focus. So kids will come in and be like, well, I'm reading. And then I look at the board far away and it's really blurry. I can't see it. Mm -hmm. And it's really that if you don't use it, you lose it principle. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. true in really all of medicine. And, and I would say there's like three, I mean, I have, I have, I've, I'm so passionate about this because I feel like there's not a lot of people talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And especially in healthcare, it's like, there's so many other things that, that need our attention. Yeah. There's a lot of children that have attention deficit, other issues. And so mm -hmm. it's not all on the pediatricians to do everything. Right. But this is such a fundamental thing. It is. I mean, it's such a basic skill. It's so it, basic. Uh, so tell me why you're so passionate. What What is it about this, this screen introduction into our society with these young kids? Well, I think there's three big umbrellas of problems in vision and eye care, like from mm -hmm. my perspective. Yeah. The first one is vision and learning, which we're talking about today. So there's that whole uh, umbrella of problems there. Children that have difficulty with reading comprehension, eye tracking, you know. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. The other issue that we're seeing in uh, in the eye care field is myopia or nearsighted uh, progression. So that's a mm -hmm. huge area of concern because as it stands, 33% uh, of our population, the world's population is nearsighted. And by 2050, it's estimated that 52% of the world's population will be nearsighted. Wow. And that is directly related to all the near point um, accommodative demands of the phone. And then the third big topic is dry eye disease, which I'm seeing and teenagers that have significant dry eye and myobian gland loss because their blink rate is almost zero because they stare at a screen. No way. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, I totally mm -hmm. get that. I totally get that because, mm -hmm. you know, like the whole house can come crashing down if your son's on right. a video game, right? He's not going to blink. Oh my goodness. You know, when someone comes in for an evaluation, I, I just want to get a sense of the whole person, obviously, but then I need to just kind of figure out which which group am I am I dealing with so and I use a screen all day I have electronic medical records and sure yeah and there's so much of that anyhow I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of as parents is like you know you're not putting your child behind by not giving them a screen I promise you I was 27 mm -hmm. when I got my first iPhone right yeah yeah you did pretty well <laughs> right and I'm 41 so it's like yeah. you know yeah. you, it's like that technology is so intuitive Right. And when your child goes to school, I mean, now they, and in South Carolina, they all have uh, MacBooks. I know. First oh grade. My gosh. Oh my goodness. So there's, uh. so there's a lot of like, you know, they're already going to have that at school. You know, they're already going to have that visual demand. So why give them more of that at home? You That's know? what I always think too, with the screens, because I do get it now with parents and even my own kids, you know, they have screens at school now that wasn't too long ago that really wasn't the case 10 years ago mm -hmm. but now it is so i agree with you that because they do have to have all this interaction with the screen during the day then when they come home they certainly don't need any more and that was mm -hmm. one of the biggest reasons why my we took video games away from 
my younger kids, because I thought they're already getting enough. I mean, this is not that hard to figure out that they're already getting enough of that. So we need to err on the side where they have time to do these other things. That's fascinating though. These, these three problems that you're, you're seeing, what is your feeling around how screens have changed your practice really? Like, did you learn this stuff in school or are you just seeing it organically? I mean, do you go to conferences? All the time. My husband said, I'm like, I'm an admitted, I'm an eye nerd. Like I love, I love to learn. And, you know, and, and I graduated from optometry school and I had a good foundation and it wasn't, I was practicing for about five years and I started to see uh, some children in some cases uh, that where they had an eye turn. And I was like, well, you know, I, I really want to know how to treat this on a more holistic, organic level. So in my practice, we provide optometric vision therapy and vision rehabilitation. So I would say that is probably in the past several years has really, really um, taken off. And I think it's secondary to our visual demands and what we require and how fast our kids have to grow up almost in a way too. And vision therapy, have you ever heard of vision therapy before? Well, I'm not, I'm thinking you're going to tell me something new. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. I got my pen out. I'm taking notes. (laughs) Um, So like vision therapy, a lot of people will come in and and they'll be like, I've never heard of this. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, most of the time you won't until you actually need that service. But vision therapy, um, it's, it's where we treat vision deficits and disorders that can't be treated with glasses, contact lenses, or surgery. Mm. So that may be someone that does have a lazy eye or an eye turn and they need to learn how to control that. So, you know, the brain is what sees and Mm. it's think about the eyes and the brain and how they connect and how those signals are. And your brain has neuroplasticity and that's how we're able to use optometric vision therapy to help strengthen and improve binocular vision. We treat a lot of patients who have traumatic brain injury and concussion. And so we work with a lot of, you know, we have children, we have lots of adults. What I'm seeing now as related to screens is that some of the normal developmental milestones aren't happening. If I have a nine-year-old that has to have a ruler to keep their place when they read, you know, they're not going to be reading on grade level, most likely. And then that means that we have to intervene using optometric vision therapy to help um, help those skills develop so they can become a proficient reader and and excel. So what are some of the signs for people listening today? What are some of the signs, the warning signs? Okay. So some of them aren't just squinting because everyone thinks like, oh, if my child has a vision problem, they'll be, they'll squint. But, you know, going back to Something that comes up quite often in my office is um, if a parent brings in their child in and they'll say, um, I'll ask them, like, you know, this is your first eye exam. And they're like, no, no, we had our eyes checked mm-hmm. already at the nurse's office. And I'm like, yeah. okay. But <laughs> I'm like, okay. So they covered an eye and the kid probably peeked around and cheated a sure. little bit. And then they'll cover the other eye. But that's just, again, just the distance visual acuity that doesn't have anything to do with. Um, how our eyes work or move together. Mm -hmm. And so there are some things that parents don't realize that are related to vision. So like skipping rereading lines, of course, taking longer to do homework, poor reading comprehension. You know, a lot of people who have vision issues also have more difficulty with like attention related problems. So they'll mimic kind of ADD 
Mm. It's hard for them to sit still because they're like, oh, every time I look at those letters, they're they're blurry. Right. Right. And so we'll get a lot of kids that are like the parents like, I don't think they're ADD, but they're acting it. And that's like, well, it's every time they look at their paper, it's a double. Yeah. And they're getting frustrated. Right. But yeah. the child doesn't necessarily know it's wrong because that's just mm-hmm. what they see. Mm-hmm. Right. Like vision's so subjective and so personal mm-hmm. that they don't know that's necessarily wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, squinting, of course, a child that like looks really close at their paper, they'll bring it really close to their paper, move back away. They'll cover an eye when they read. They'll put their head down to kind of close an eye if they're having double vision. They'll do that. So it's a lot of issues. Maybe they're not riding their bike, scared of heights. You know, there's a lot of other things that will let you know that maybe vision isn't where it should be. What do you recommend for parents of different age kids? So we've got our baby toddler category. We have our kids category and our teen category. So those three categories, what are just some tips to offer to help prevent screen vision? or I always say screen problems, but uh, vision problems. (laughs) Yeah. So the biggest thing, infants, you know, um, high stimulus toys, blacks and whites, right? Tummy Mm -hmm. time's important. Holding different um, textures, right? Like letting like your child explore uninterrupted Mm. i mean you know you have to watch them to make sure they're not doing anything getting into anything but really just allowing like i would let my son just like take out all the tubbleware and i put it on the on the bottom shelf for i'm like take it all out you know bang it around just letting them explore yeah this is that whole exploration thing let me just say i think that um the hands have so much to do with brain development, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, visually, your mm-hmm. your eyes have to track your hand to pick mm-hmm. up something. And that whole exercise is so hard at first, right? For babies, because they've never mm-hmm. done it. So they're using that pathway and they use it again and again and again, and they start mm-hmm. paving that pathway. But it also, I, I feel like their mouth is also connected <laughs> somehow. They're constantly putting this object, you know, in, into their mouth. And I think that's got to really help with their visual development as well, because they're going from over here at arm's length to over here, right in front of my face. And Absolutely. It's, it's sensory integration. You know, it's like how all of the senses meet. So it's how vision and touch and proprioception and auditory, it's like how everything meets. And that's what, that is what we're sometimes we're seeing more of is sensory integration problems It's because yeah. the senses don't have a, have a time or a place to really be cohesive and, and, and meet each other because they should. Right. And I'm just randomly sitting here thinking after having four kids and mm-hmm. I, I don't remember, and you might know, I don't really remember even watching it out in public babies putting phones in their mouth. It, like it's like when they're looking at a screen, it kind of shuts down. Mm-hmm these other desires to do that? Am I making this up or is this not really at real? all? Well, I mean, like your visual is like your visual stimulation. It's like, it's so powerful. Right. And it's so fast. It's like our brains get so much visual information from a screen. It's such a fast pace. Yeah. You know, every five seconds, it's just, it, it kind of creates like the cycle of attention problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I've, it's if you take a phone away from a small child, there is a sometimes withdrawal. a physical, yeah, there's a withdrawal, <laughs> absolutely a physical response. And you know, I used to be very 
I used to have a different stance and I used to say, okay, how many hours of screen time do they get? Um, and I'd say, okay, well, let's keep it under an hour. Mm-hmm. And now I say no screens and it's not coming from a place of, I think I'm better than them. Right. It's not coming from a place where I'm being like a judgy parent or doctor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally me seeing this every day in my office the overwhelming number of children that need glasses at a younger age that need optometric vision therapy to help skills that should be developed. And it's also me living it in my life and really like embracing it. And I'm like, I want, you know, they need to be outside. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's like we need to they be outside and play in the sun. It's like a nearsighted progression of myopia progression is just exploding because we're indoors too much. Right. And so you're seeing this at a much younger age because this is where all this work has to be done. And when it's not done, then we mm-hmm. get messed up. Our our kids' neural pathways are not developing the way they should. Right. And so you see the withdrawal and all that. So it's like, it's interesting because I'm a parent, I'm going through it. And I'm like, I see how bad it's become, especially with this past year with COVID. It pushed everything heavy into electronics with, you know, with school. Yes, you're probably seeing a lot of people in your office now. Mm -hmm. Um, So what about the middle age category? We did the babies. What about the, the, what can we do? What are some proactive things we can do with school age kids? And then we're going to talk about teenagers. Okay. So like your preschool kids, I mean, everything, I always say like the messier, the better. I mean, I'm a huge (laughs) fan of anything like blocks puzzles. I mean, it's almost like if you could go back to 1985 and buy all those toys, that's what you should do. Like, let's say like if you have a toy that one time Bennett got like this little car and it had like, it's a steering wheel and it has all these buttons. And I was like, oh, I don't love this toy because it's playing to him. Right. You know, it's like, it needs to be like an inner, like needs to be interaction. Yeah. Like Twister, right? Remember that? Yeah. We need to think of our <laughs> vintage games. <laughs> yes. We could really go back in time. That would be great. So yeah. anything like hands on, but just being proactive. And I really like what you said about sports. You know, there are some really good things that you can do. Like swimming is one of the, the things that I recommend to parents. Mm. their child is having difficulty with like reading. I'm like, they need to swim because they need to coordinate right and left halves of their bodies. And that helps coordinate the eyes too. It's not. Now I remember um, when one of mine was in probably first grade or second grade, the teacher said, just get outside with a tennis racket and some Uh ping pong balls and let him hit these against the garage door over and over and over and over. And that was doing the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of growth that happens in boredom. Yeah. You know, there's like so much, you know, creativity that we're, we're like, we're getting in the way because we think our kids shouldn't be bored. And I'm like, no, they should be (laughs) (laughs) actually (laughs) they should. And that's where a lot of creativity lies as well. So it's like, you know, just kind of getting away from that mindset that they have to be preoccupied all the time. So how much screen time? Obviously, no for babies, none. Um, none for this age group, too, really is. Right. Is, so, I mean, so I have to be reasonable. <laughs> I can't say completely none because. Well, there's, there's nothing none. reasonable about being on a screen for eight hours a day. So this you're OK. True. This is true. So <laughs> what I say to parents, I'm like, OK, well, we know at school that they're going to have six hours of screen time because they have a, this is just what it is. So I'm like, so when we go home, we don't want to reward them with more screen time. 
Yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm like, it needs to be something else. Like literally anything else, like play board games that as a family. And it's like, you know what? It takes more effort. It takes a lot more work, but it's better. You're like, you get those connections. Well, anything, you know, worthwhile usually does take some effort, mm-hmm. but what we find that when you step into this world and get out of the virtual bubble that kids are in at school all day in this virtual thing that they're in and then they come home, you know, get them on their bike, get them on their skateboard. There's skates running around the neighborhood, all that. It's, it takes care of so many things. It's not, I don't want parents to be overwhelmed to think, Oh, now I have to worry about their eyes. Well, yeah, you do. But, but, (laughs) but when you're, when you're exercising and hanging out socially with your all these things are happening at the same time. So it's like a two for one, three for one, four for one. If you do it as a family, it's a 10 for one. You know, you're, you're getting all these things happening together. So it's really not that overwhelming. And then like in our situation, we'll talk about teenagers here in a second. You know, once you do that for these years and you think it's hard, but of course they fly by really quick, then you're kind of home free. Then, then you get to enjoy adolescence and you're not... Mm-hmm you know, worried about going to the counselor because they have social media depression or they're addicted to their video game and it's all so much healthier. So you're saying, obviously kids have to be on screens at school. One Mm -hmm. thing that I have recommended for parents is to talk to the teachers and, and just say, how much can we really cut back on screen time? And I don't want screens out at school if there's no purpose, if they're just playing with them. So can we just use screens on purpose and some teachers are better than others, but most teachers will totally be on board with, yeah, you know what? I think I can move this to paper, this to a book, you know, um, maybe we can put one big screen at the very top of the classroom, at the front of the classroom. That's going to still be better than having mm-hmm. a tablet on their desk. So it takes some work to do that, but you can certainly be an advocate for your kids and ask specifically, you know, because if, if our kids were allergic to peanuts, they would certainly make those accommodations as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I really deal, we have, um, I feel like really good communication with our parents and our schools and our teachers. And we, um, have a lot of kids who have IEPs and classroom accommodations. And that is the first thing I say, like that needs to be uh, they need books, they need paper, um, the visual demands of a screen are, they're much harder. And so not every kid is going to process things on the computer the same way. And so I think it's easier, obviously, to get a lot of information out via a screen. But that's something that more and more, I really, I try to talk to all my um, the patients that come in that are teachers. I'll just, you know, ask them about how that's going. I try to make that connection. And just so people can understand what you're talking about too here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm assuming you're referring to this cognitive load that for a child to be on a screen when they're learning something, it has so much to do with the process of how that learning is happening. And so when they're on a screen, it is so stimulating and that it's, you're, you're, you've only got so much real estate in your brain. And so if the child's brain is using up 50% of that real estate just to process the mechanism, right. Then they're not, they're going to have a lot left, a lot less um, left over for learning. And this is why, you know, one-on-one tutoring works, why all of a sudden your kid can understand the math problem when you're sitting at the kitchen table and there's no screen. So it's not that they're all bad, but we have to understand it's way too much and too fast. And And every time the screen uh, refreshes every two minutes, your eyes refocus. 
So it's like a lot, it's a lot of the visual, you know, and some people are really sensitive to the blue light from the screen. So talk about that for a second. Yeah. So blue light's a hot topic. Everyone, you know, gets blue light glasses and I, I prescribe quite a bit of those as well. You know, blue light is something that we get from the sun, but it's also emitted from our screens and blue light is emitted naturally. And then as the day goes on, obviously the sun goes down and there's less blue light. Hmm. So what we're finding is that if you're on your phone all the time, it can, it keeps you awake. Have you ever heard about that before? It disrupts your circadian rhythms. Yes. So what it does, I think about like light is not just like light, it's actually energy. And so when light comes into the eye, you know, it goes, uh, it's transmitted basically from the back of the eye throughout the visual uh, pathway into the primary visual cortex. So it's like energy. Mm -hmm. And so certain wavelengths of light can do certain things, right? Like trigger moods or symptoms. So blue light in particular disrupts the circadian rhythms of our brain. And so it reduces how much melatonin is made. And so you can't fall asleep at night. And so that's why you're on your phone and you're like, oh, no, it's midnight. I need to fall asleep, but I can't. And the phone's giving you up. But you yeah. can't fall asleep because of the phone. <laughs> right. Thing. And so enter the world of a teenager. Let's yeah. shift. Okay. Because this is a this is the problem. They're this already, the problem. Their, their circadian rhythm is already resetting during puberty. So they don't want to go to bed. They're not tired, even though they are, but they don't think they are. Right. They don't feel tired. Then you put a phone in their hand and that blue light and plus all the stimulation. Can't go to sleep. So I think, you know, blue light blocking lenses are really useful. I mean, especially, you know, patients who have concussion, like post-concussion vision syndrome, they're especially sensitive to, um, to blue light, but that can be helpful. I think it's, if we can like eliminating, like just shutting down the screen a couple hours before bedtime, that's really hard to do, but it's like really just kind of resetting, like shutting that part of your brain down so that you can kind of get a break and you can fall into the natural rhythm of sleep. Well, and I'm very big on, on teenagers getting their screen homework done mm-hmm. immediately when they get home from school. They don't want to, they want to get on their phones and they want to get on their video games. But when your teenager gets home from school and all your kids, when they get home from school, get that screen laptop homework done right away, get it done, shut it, and then have the rest of the couple hours after dinner to relax and not stimulate that part of the brain. I think that's really important. And they're all going to get screens eventually. They're all going to get their own little phones, but at least you've done your part and like kind of established those rules. And I know that my son's not going to like me when I get him a, um, when he doesn't get a phone. Um, yeah, they will. My kids like me. We, we, they really do like me. I know. <laughs> like, a moment, but you know, it's like the we'll, bigger, we'll talk. I know. Right. Oh, I'll call you when that happens. You call um, me. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I think if you're just mindful of it, I mean, look at like, if you ever sit in a restaurant and you see like little, little small kids looking at screens and, and you know what they're missing out, they're missing out on, the birds and the trees and all that visual information, like connecting that, you know, the eye contact, it's like, we're in the way again of, of those bonds too, in that way. Yeah. And, and for teenagers, it's the attachment to their family. They're not spending time with their families anymore. And, um, but back up to the eighth grade, to the eighth grader or ninth Mm -hmm. grader coming into your office, are you, are you seeing the nearsightedness 
you know, from what I understand, the statistics are really overwhelming on this. Yeah. So the eighth graders that come in, like usually they have their phone like under their leg, like they'll get in the exam chair and I'm, and I'm like, so anytime I prescribe lenses, I always check, you know, um, I'll trial frame and I'll check their acuity with the new lenses at the distance eye chart. But then I'll also say, all right, pull out your phone. Cause I know that's where they're looking all day. Right. And so then I make sure that they can still focus, you know, up close with the lenses. And I, usually the parent is in the corner, like, ah, you know, but what we're seeing is we're uh, there's some new technology as far as um, slowing down the progression of nearsightedness. Last year, uh, there was a contact lens that got FDA approval. It's the first soft contact lens. It's made by Cooper Vision. Okay. And it has been uh, shown to slow down the progression of nearsightedness. So that's a lens that I fit in my office now. There's uh, corneal reshaping therapy or CRT. There's atropine therapy. So there's other ways to kind of slow down the eyeball from getting longer because you can't really sometimes eliminate all the screen time. So that's, you know, there's other ways that we're trying to reduce, you know, how nearsighted they're all getting because that puts us at more risk for things like retinal detachments and um, glaucoma and cataracts and macular maculopathy as we get older too. So there's lots of reasons. Reason, Yeah, exactly. So when later on in life, we don't want everyone to have long nearsighted eyeballs. Never knew that. I know. Okay. <laughs> it's my <All> day's right. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> that is, it's just so fascinating um, how all this is interrelated. So we, we talked about the babies and the kids and let's just touch back on the on the teens just for a second. What do you recommend that they do to uh, help their eye health and their vision health? We can't totally take screens away from them at school, but mm -hmm. um, at home, I like what you said about, you know, knocking that homework out initially. I think a mm -hmm. lot of what they need to be doing is other extracurricular activities, because if you are in a way kind of involved in that way, there's no time to sit there for two hours. Mm -hmm. and kind of start that addiction. So for them, definitely, you know, um, sports, my husband coaches cross country and track. So I think that's a great sport for um, discipline. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Lot of pain. pain. <laughs> but one of the things I see, I tell people to blink and I know this sounds crazy, but like some people just look at, they'll be like on their MacBook working and they haven't blinked in like two minutes. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're just drying out your eyes so much. So we'll just kind of, you know, we'll do blink exercises, really kind of like closing your eyes because that helps uh, protect the ocular surface, obviously, if there's tears. So you talked about the glands that we're um, having because they're not blinking enough. So then Correct. over time, your body just adjusts to that. And yeah. now we don't have what we need to have healthy eye surfaces. Yeah. So the, the, I know. Yeah. So the, well, I'm seeing it. I'm like, you know, I, I, I have a lot of patients that have dry eye and ocular surface disease, but you know, they used to be like women in their forties and fifties, and it's really shifted to my teenage group and uh, we can image the mybobian gland. So you have these little glands at the base of your eyelashes and they kind of look like piano fingers, but these glands produce oil. Mm -hmm. And that oil is there so your tears don't evaporate off the front of your eye. Huh. So if you don't have enough oil, that's where your eyes will burn or you'll have to kind of blink a lot to get everything clear. Sure. So as your eyes close and the lids meet, uh, the gland releases the oil. 
So if you're not blinking, the oil stays in the gland. And then over time, the oils can harden. And instead of being like olive oil, there'll be like a harder substance that we can't sure. get express. They and then up. Yeah. it gets backed up. And then the glands just atrophy. So we're seeing like atrophied glands in teenagers, wow. like especially video gamers, because they just do not blink. And oh I know. So now we're getting into a younger generation. Um, we'll start them on, you know, omega-3 supplements. And we're doing dry eye therapy at a young age. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, moms out there, you're going to have to go holler at your kids to start blinking now. right? <laughs> <laughs> when you when walk in the room. <laughs> One more thing, brush your teeth and blink, you don't know, forget to blink, but it's don't just, like, it's just like being mindful of it. You oh know, my gosh. Well, I've been telling my kids not to forget to think, and now I got to remember to tell them to blink. Yeah. So at least they rhyme <laughs> and, you know, you don't have to tell your three-year-old that he's fine, but when they get older, they forget yeah. to think. Right. So right. We got to think and we got to blink. Okay. Oh yeah. my goodness. I know. So your, re your recommendations in general are what? Okay. So biggest thing, get your child's eyes examined. That is super easy. So there is baby six to 12 months. That's your first eye exam. Um, there is an AOA program, American Optometric Association program called Infant C, and that is a national program where you can bring your baby in for a free eye exam. Okay. Oh, and so you go on the AOA website. It's wonderful. It's infantc.org and you can find a provider in your area, which is wonderful. So that just kind of gets you like in the, in the basics. Yeah, it's exactly. And then um, if you feel like your child has, you know, like a, a visual problem with like reading or double vision or anything like that, then um, I would reach out to a developmental optometrist. And that way you can kind of learn about like the more functional side of vision and if that's interfering with their reading. Um, and you can go to locate.covd.org to find a doctor there. I think in general, my recommendation is go with your gut. We're raising a generation. And sometimes I tell my husband, I'm like, I feel kind of worried that like, this is all I'm seeing. And I know that I, this is the specialty of my office. So I see more of it, mm -hmm. but just as a mom, a young mom and having a young child, I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg, what I'm seeing. And so I think just go back to basics, you know, mm -hmm. it really is about letting your child be outside, explore, get dirty, you know, have fun, make eye contact, bake in the kitchen, like anything that's just, cause that's what, that's where we learn visual skills too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's just all naturally happening mm -hmm. without anything else that happened for us. Right. And we didn't grow up with that. So right. that right. concept that we have to occupy our kids all the time, I think we need to rethink that and just make it a little bit more simple. And more natural. Anytime it's yeah. more natural, it's, it's going to be better. So before we close, I know there is a huge burning question. I can read minds out here today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the question that I know that we're going to get is about reading on a screen as far as screen readers. Like I'm not mm -hmm. talking about your laptop, but I'm talking about, you know, the nooks and stuff like that, the um, screen oh, yeah. readers. So as opposed to readers. a book, the e whatever I'm saying. Yeah. The e-readers. Yeah, e yeah. Yes. So, you know, I have a love hate with those because I like them for 
certain patients. Uh, I feel like that technology has been really, really helpful with patients who have low vision Mm -hmm. because they can really change the contrast, the brightness, the size of that letter really quickly. The font, you can increase the font and It's wonderful, right? You know, like I don't need my readers as much, right? I would say a book. Like if I'm, if I have, if I have my way, I would say there's no e-readers for your 16 year old. Mm-hmm. because again, they're having to accommodate and focus a little bit differently and you don't get the tactile feedback of that page. It's just, it's just different, but e-readers on general, I, I don't find in my office as many teenagers using those. I feel like it's more adults, mm-hmm. which I don't have as much of a problem with because most sure. of them tell me that they're like, well, I'm making the font bigger. So I don't need my cheaters. Sure. No. And I think just for kids, I think a lot of parents think, well, I can have a hundred books on here and they can Uh read so easily. And I think what you just said about the, the tactile experience feeds the um, visual experience too. It, it, there's a reason why it's better for your child to hold a book and turn the page. And of course, for comprehension, that's always better to see where you are in the story, literally to mm-hmm. feel the pages build up on one side or the other. But I, I do get a lot of questions about the e-readers that are more, they're supposed to look more like a book, you know, right. um, like paper. Yeah. They're supposed to be like, yeah, the less like backlighting and all that. Yeah. But still, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, there's, you're missing you're, something. You're missing something. And like the visual closure, that skill is like, okay, I'm drawing conclusions. What's going to happen next? Oh, I'm going to turn the page again. But you totally miss that if you have an e-reader. I mean, I, I had one for, you know, five years ago and I was like, I don't like it as a gift. And I never I used it once. I was like, I don't like this. I think it's good for skimming stuff. And, you know, we all have become skimmers instead of readers. Uh But our kids, you know, from K to 12, they can't skim. We they're going to be skimming the rest of their life. They need to learn how to do this deep reading and thinking and looking and all of that. And I think that's I think the shortcuts and sometimes the conveniences are good, but Um, many times they're not. And there's a reason why it's not just because we're stuck in the old days here. It's, it's really not. And it sounds like it sometimes, you know, I think, yeah, it's just like being intentional, like having awareness, Yeah, look up and be like, Hey, my, my kids are here. My family's here. It's just Mm -hmm. like being intentional with what do you, what we do with our time, what we do with each other, because that's just, that's so limited. And not, and not pretending like this doesn't affect other areas of, of our kids' lives, you know, in their eyes. This is certainly a big thing that I think many of us have, have missed. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. This is, I have learned so much. I love doing these podcasts because I just learned so much and we appreciate your time so much. And because it seems like you're kind of local, not too far, we're going to have you over to some of our monthly meetings and um, I need to talk to you about that for sure. But Janet, is there, are, are there, is there any last final one thing, just encouragement for our listeners and our parents that are, that are passing this on to their friends? What, what's just a final word of encouragement that you can give them just from your perspective, from your seat where you're sitting with this eye health issue? So I would just say that, you know, it's like you're doing a good job. It's not about comparing yourself or you know, um, like I was saying earlier about like being like better than anybody. It's like just doing what's right for your child, 
for your family and go with your gut, you know, because if I have so many parents come in and they'll be like, oh, I knew there was something wrong. I didn't understand that it was related to vision. Like they said they could read 2020 in the eye chart, but it was a vision issue. So it's like, go with your gut and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to find providers that will educate you because at the end of the day, it's like, that's my job. I want to educate the patients and parents that come in so they can make the best medical decisions for their families. And so I think just finding providers that, that you feel like you have that relationship with, that you feel like you're, that you have some good education from them. And then you're able to ask all of your questions and have those concerns answered. But, you know, I would really say, just go with your gut. It, It seems overwhelming, but you know, we grew up and our vision developed and I'm assuming you're a great reader and all this, but, um, but you know, there's so many people you don't think about vision until you have a problem. Yeah. And so we're really, your brain is designed to use both eyes together. It's just natural. Like you don't have to like think about all this stuff if we just don't, if we interfere less, if that makes sense. So I think if we just kind of go back to basics, it just developmentally happens on its own as it should. And get those screens out of the way so your kids right. can get outside. <laughs> That's sure. right. Get them outside, you know, just, yeah, like going back to basics 100%. In prevention. That's what and, I've heard yeah. a lot today to get those eye visits. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And this is going to help so many families and just like so many of our podcasts do. And I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to this today. Please share this with your friends. And if you have enjoyed this content, please consider becoming a sponsor for us. You can contact us at team at screenstrong.com for more information about that. We depend on donations from our community and you can visit our site uh, at screenstrong.com to donate. You can learn more about our free version of the ScreenStrong Challenge. If you have a a kiddo that needs to get off their screens, we can help you do that. We can help you kickstart your digital detox. And if you need um, help from other parents, join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. You'll find tons of support in there. It's a very active group of families just like you that are just trying to learn all this. So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.